Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I'm still rocking, I'm still rocking, and I'm back this week. Thanks, Emily, for filling my shoes, but I'm back right now. That's right, listeners, she's back. She's back. Hot from Florida. Here she is, Heather Michelle Uh, Lawler. So thank you so much, listeners, for um, putting up with the wild ride that has been. <laughs> I mean, How this, is shows this show going to sound. This show's kind of always a wild ride, you know, but we we just like, you know, since we're in the second season, we wanted to really like shake things up. Really so. keep y'all on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so she's back. She's back. Thank you How's again, Emily. Going? Footloose is going well. Uh, we uh, have staged the first act, and they're now deep, like they're now into the second act. And uh, we've learned all the music for the Broadway cabaret. So you know, it's been busy, busy, busy. Uh, been to the beach, had a lot of cocktails, like they, you know, like <laughs> as you do. Good, doing it right, living. That <laughs> and since we're life. recording in the middle of my rehearsal process, like literally, it's two, it's three o'clock here in Florida, and. Uh, I got an hour off, so we are recording, and I'm getting paid right now. A lot more than I usually get paid to do this podcast. Ah, yeah. Nobody tell my employers. (laughs) And on that note, listeners, because we are on just a tiny bit of a time crunch to get this one in, I think we're going to jump fairly quickly into doing that thing we do. Oh, yeah, that thing we do. Because what I would... Doing that thing you do. Breaking my heart into a million pieces. <laughs> yeah. Um, because what I would really hate to have happen is for us to get two thirds of the way through a gripping story and then have Heather get called back to rehearsal and you don't get to hear the end. I mean, we'd find a way, but like I would have no, trouble. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> we'd just stop it. It'd just be like, nope, I that's would the end. stop it. I would just put an end to the story. And that, dear listener, is what you have to go out on. (laughs) The the ultimate cliffhanger. Of course, you would know what story it was. So maybe that would just encourage our listeners to do a little bit of reading on their own. Oh, my God. Are we telling people to read? That's terrifying. (laughs) Yes, but only read stories that are more than six or seven thousand words because we don't want you encroaching on what we read to you. That's true. That's true. Right. All right. That seems fair. Yeah. So what are we going to read this week? Uh, Last week, um, if you listened and I hope you did, uh, Emily went ahead and read a story that I thought was going to be an appropriately spooky Halloween story because it's Edgar Allan Poe. But much to my simultaneous delight and dismay, it turns out Poe can be really freaking funny. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! Surprise! So I don't think we're going to have that same problem this week, but before leaping into talking about the story or the author, I'm going to give a few fun facts because... 
you know, that's part of what we do. Oh, by the way, for any first-time listeners, because if we're doing our job right, every episode is somebody's first episode, even this deep into season two. Um, what we do here is take turns reading short stories completely sight unseen and laughing at the ridiculous accents and um, accidental sex jokes that so pop many, up. so many, so many. But first, uh, we like to do a little bit of edutaining by delivering some fun facts, either about the author or about the story, or in the case of this week, because this is our last episode in October, I thought I'd do some fun facts about the upcoming, or at least upcoming if you're listening to this relatively soon after it drops, holiday. Oh, the, the Hallow's Eve? Halloween. Yes. Is a celebration observed in many countries on the 31st of October. We all know the gist. Dress up as something scary, knock on someone's door, demand candy, and leave. But uh, here's a little bit of historical context and such for for um, where the holiday came from. Today's Halloween customs are thought to have been influenced by folk customs and beliefs from the Celtic-speaking countries, Ooh. some of which are believed to have pagan roots. I have a Celtic tattoo. So, so you're, you are basically I, I, the spirit of Halloween. I am. <laughs> <laughs> the nicest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> That's really depressing to me. <laughs> I mean, we're deep in rehearsal mode. We, it's, it's all pushing right now. There's not a lot of like, good job. It's like, come on, get your shit done. Get your shit done. They'll Aww. say good job later. Is, is your is your cast not being nice to you? Because oh, no, I will have some being, words with them. Oh, no, the cast, I'm talking about the creatives. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not in compliment mode. They're in like push to get it done mode right now. That's fair. So where was I? Um, oh, yeah. So the origins of Halloween uh, are typically linked to the Gaelic festival of Samhain. Samhain. This was a harvest festival around the end of the season that ushered in the, quote, darker half of the year okay. when the spirits and fairies could more easily come into the world and were particularly active. Okay. Fun. Uh, these spirits were appeased to ensure the people and livestock survived the winter. Offerings of food and drink or portions of crops were left outside for them. Uh, also, things like divination, attempts to tell the future, were often made around this time, doing uh, rituals with, like, casting um, casting bones and, and lighting candles and blah, blah, blah. But one of the rituals for divination that has stuck around as a Halloween game to this day was bobbing for apples. Oh, okay. I have no idea how this was supposed to tell the future. That is very confusing to me, but yeah. apparently that was part of a, a, a divination ritual. I guess if you drown in the apples, it means your future's not very good. And if you get an apple, it means you're going to be prosperous. <laughs> I would argue that if you drown trying to get the apple, your present isn't very good. Well, your future well, is non-existent. Your future is non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like witch trials. Like, if you drown, you're not a witch. If you don't drown, you are a witch, and then they burn you at the stake. So it's like... Mm. So what does, it say, what does it say about your future if you actually do get the apple? I think you're a witch. Ah. <laughs> so if you drown bobbing for apples, you're a witch. Your future is not so bright. And if you 
bob up with an apple, you die. Yeah. That, this that's sounds like the a one. terrible game. It sounds like a really fucked I'm, up I'm gonna game. I'm going to stick with stab apple. <laughs> cool. Stab um, apple away. <laughs> So starting in the 16th century, there are records of people dressing up in costume, going door to door and performing like skits and songs and poetry and prayers as real life stand ins for the visiting spirits. Okay. they would then collect the offerings ordinarily left for the spirits uh, outside the door. Okay. in parts of southern Ireland. This turned into essentially a juvenile protection racket. Okay. Because what would happen is they'd go around and the belief would be, you know, if you give offerings to these spirits, uh, then you'll have good luck in the year to come. But that morphed into if you don't make offerings to these spirits, we'll make mischief for you. Mischievous. (laughs) Right. So this is this is the beginnings of sort of trick or treat. Give us a treat or we yeah. will trick you. Oh, yeah. By the 18th century, the imitating of spirits to play pranks had moved from Ireland over to Scotland and by the early 20th century to England. And these pranksters would sometimes carry little turnips and small gourds, which they had hollowed out and carved faces into and put little candles inside. Gee, I've never heard of these- that. <laughs> These were meant, depending on what source you believe, either to look like spirits to help scare people or to convince the real spirits that this particular group of pranksters was on their side and shouldn't be bothered. Okay. Eventually, they became known as jack-o'-lanterns. <laughs> of course, like most pagan holidays, these Celtic harvest festivals were adopted and plugged into the Christian calendar. As long as everybody wanted to be celebrating spirits and whatnot anyway, let's just make it a church thing. We'll call it All Saints Eve, and then All Hallows Eve, as in hallowed or holy, and then Halloween. Halloween. Because yep. uh, uh, humans like to shorten things and make them more concise because we lazy. So Halloween, <laughs> it's a big contraction. Uh, it came to America with the Scotch-Irish immigration in the 19th century. And from there, it moved back across the ocean to mainland Europe in the 20th century. Naturally, the holiday was eventually commercialized over the years because why not? What are you talking uh, about? Americans don't like to commercialize anything. <laughs> there definitely was not a fucking boat at Clearwater Beach the other day driving around that was a giant fucking LED billboard on the ocean. I'm like, we can't even have the ocean be sacred. Now you're going to advertise like on the fucking ocean. I'm like, I hate our country. <laughs> Naturally. Like, way to ruin a beautiful view. Like, here, get your Viagra today. Was it a giant floating Viagra billboard? It was a rotating, so like, you know, it just kept changing. But definitely one of the the billboards was for Viagra. And I'm like, awesome. (laughs) Happy beach day. I kind of love that on the beach. I mean, there's that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> there's something delightful about that it somehow. Is, it is delightful. Uh, I could just, you know, do without it. Yeah. So, uh, for example, commercialization of Halloween, um, Americans now spend a yearly average of over $450 million on Halloween costumes for their pets. 
Are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> you know what? I'm, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm equally upset about it and like really happy about it. <laughs> kind of delighted, right? Because animals and costumes are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I just, again, hate the capitalism of our country and the fact that we could probably solve like half the problems in this country with that amount of money. So, but, but no, we like to dress up our pets. Whatever. It's cute. It is cute. It's an epidemic of adorable. An epidemic of aww. Uh, so the first purpose-built Halloween haunted house opened in 1915 in England. It is actually still around. Oh, cool. Um, and then they started popping up in America in the 1930s, which was about the same time trick-or-treating as we know it today started in America okay. in the 1930s. Now, of course, haunted houses exist in almost every city and small town in the country. Not There's to a mention, haunted... Of Aircraft care or uh, like old like our uh, Navy ship here in Tampa where I went to have drinks with where I went to have drinks with Megan. It was next to it. And she goes, if you guys can, you should go because it's fucking cool. So it's like a haunted house on an old like Navy ship. That's it's yeah. Cr- yeah. Haunted cool. houses everywhere. <laughs> Everyone uses them to to raise money for stuff or to raise awareness for things. I got They're punched in the like face at one. Major- <laughs> You, you know this story, but yeah, some lady jumped out. Yeah. Like I was working at a haunted house when I was 18 years old and they were paying us like, you know, like 50 bucks or whatever. And uh, I jumped out at some lady and she fucking uppercut my nose and like broke my fucking nose. And then the people working there, because it was a haunted maze, like out in a cornfield. Um, was it the, like a corn maze? Yeah. They, because we were in Ohio and uh, the guys running the haunted house said, oh, you're fine. And they handed me a Bud Light and told me to put that on, <laughs> like, out of the cooler. <laughs> that might be the single most Ohio story I have ever heard. Oh, I know. When I tell it, I'm like, that sums up Ohio right there. <laughs> like, you'll be fine. Put this on it and then drink it. You'll feel better. The next day I wake up, I'm just, also, like, black and blue. <laughs> y'all, if you're going to visit a haunted house like ease up on the trigger finger don't go swinging at the haunters no they get they're just they're actors there to entertain you i know it's scary but don't don't the fight or flight in that woman was fight <laughs> she was yeah. like she just went nope yeah that's not cool you gotta <laughs> chill like you you have paid money presumably to be most scared. haunted houses aren't free you have paid money to walk into a place where where you are asking them to try to scare you First of all, if you're just going to walk through and be all tough guy about it and like grit your teeth and not jump and be scared by anything, what's the point? You're wasting your time and your money. Yep. Second of all, just because you got scared doesn't mean when you punch someone, it isn't assault. Yep. (laughs) You're still a dick. Quit swinging. (laughs) That sounded way better out loud than it did in my head. I I liked it. (laughs) Quit swinging, you dick. (laughs) Quit swinging your dick? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're, they're now, they're, they're all over the place. You got um, apparently haunted aircraft carriers. You got haunted theme parks every October. Hollow Scream, um, man. And 
Yeah, and uh, they even raise money for things like the the haunted house I worked for was raising money to keep Eastern State Penitentiary, which is an historic site, open. Mm-hmm. Um, places like UNICEF and March of Dimes and and all of these things run haunted houses and haunted mansions to to try to raise money. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a little bit of the history of Halloween. Yay! But today. Heather, yes. you will be reading a story by spooky horror legend H.P. Lovecraft. <gasps> yeah. It's it's been a while since we did one of his. It so, has. listener, you can go check out episode number 11, Don't Go in the Moist Hole for some fun <laughs> facts about him. There will be there will be a link to that in the uh the show note diddly doobly thingy. Diddly dooblies. Um but the story you will be reading is called The Unnameable. All right, let's do it. Let's start this fire a burning. The Unnameable by H.P. Lovecraft. We were sitting. It just occurred to me that I wonder if Harry Potter's initials are H.P. because of H.P. Lovecraft. I wonder. And especially because this, 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 this title is unnameable, which is like the he who shall not be named is Voldemort yeah. and Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> this has been your pointless thought. Pointless thought number one. Well, probably like number six at this point. All right. Number six of many. Of many. All right. Let's do that. The Unnameable by H.P. Lovecraft. We were sitting on a dilapidated 17th century tomb in the late afternoon of an autumn day at the old burying ground. Ground. Oh my God, I'm in the South. <laughs> Went to the old burying ground in Arkham. It's been happening. I'm in fucking Florida. It just keeps happening. Oh no. <laughs> it's infectious, Florida. As all those mosquito bites, they're all over my body. They're like infecting me with Southern accent. Oh Lord. <laughs> I didn't realize Southern accent was that kind of contagious. That's horrifying. <laughs> all right. So first of all, they're sitting on a dilapidated tomb in the afternoon. All right. So they're in the old burying ground in Arkham. Arkham? Arkham. 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 And speculating about the unnameable. <laughs> wow. This is a deep, deep afternoon sitting on a tomb. <laughs> so they're stoned yeah. sitting in a cemetery. Definitely right, high. Cool. I've done this. Yep. Looking toward the giant willow in the cemetery whose trunk had nearly engulfed an ancient, illegible slab, I had made a fantastic remark about the spectral and unmentionable nourishment which the colossal roots must be sucking from that hoary, charnel earth. When my friend chided me for such nonsense and told me that since no interments had occurred there over a century, nothing could possibly exist to nourish the tree in other than an ordinary manner. So basically no one's been buried there in a long time. So they're all gone. So the tree's not sucking up any body anymore. (laughs) Gross. Gross. (laughs) This is not a vampire tree. Chill out, dude. Uh, That's amazing. I had never thought of that though. I never thought of that. Like trees and cemeteries. Like oh no that's oh gonna god fuck I hate that so much that's gonna fuck me up forever <laughs> oh no <laughs> I'm I'm now thinking about the the little trees that were growing in the um 
There was there was an old old cemetery in Lewisburg in West Virginia yeah. that oh, I yeah. would walk past or yeah, we, through. Yeah, we went through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um I'd I'd walk around there pretty regularly and n- now that's all I can think of. I had not thought of that. Oh, oh, trees full of dead people. Which you can actually now become like there's a new thing you can do and like instead of being like you get cremated basically but you're then put into a like a pod with like earth and a seed and like you become the tree. So that does make sense. <laughs> So. Right. No, but that one's that idea is kind of lovely. The idea of tree roots going out through a cemetery and sucking out people juice is and kind like of horrifying. Growing through dead bodies. Yeah, I had never yeah. thought of that. Okay. God anyway. Damn vampire trees. Okay, vampire trees. Besides, he added, my constant talk about unnameable and unmentionable things was a very peril device, quite in keeping with my lowly standing as an author. <laughs> I was too fond of ending my stories with sights or sounds which paralyzed my hero's facilities and left them without courage, words, or associations to tell what they had experienced. So you leave them in fucking shock? Oh, like H.P. Lovecraft? Is this like a first-person story? It might be. Well, because he, he is an author who likes to end his stories with his characters having seen something that leave them... Like, shocked and incapable of of functioning. describing it and functioning yeah that's his huh. whole shtick let's find out this this could be just a uh, an autobiographical story <laughs> we know things he said only through our five senses or our intuitions wherefore it is quite impossible to refer to any object or spectacle which cannot be clearly depicted by the solid definitions of fact or the correct doctrines of theology preferably those of the Congregationalist. With whatever modifications tradition and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle may supply. (laughs) (laughs) I love when our stories mention other authors. Like, it's, that's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, although Mr. Science Brain, I'm just going to point out that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote The Leather Funnel, which is a decidedly not scientific or factual story. That is true. Maybe he hadn't written it at this point. Like, uh, I'm trying to remember, like, timeline. But, yeah, that was not a... Or maybe that this was, guy's... That was not a, like, typical Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. That that one threw no. me. Yeah. Or m- maybe maybe this guy's friend has just... Not... Only has read the Holmes stories. Yeah. Like, like me as, uh, up until about a year ago. So... Yeah. With this friend, Joel Manton, I had often languidly disputed. He was principal of the East High School, born and bred in Boston, and sharing New England's self-satisfied deafness to the delicate overtones of life. <laughs> He's like, this fucker from Boston, he don't he doesn't he doesn't know nothing about life. <laughs> he parked his car at Harvard Yard. It was his view that only our normal, objective experiences possess any... It was in his view that only our normal, objective experiences possesses any aesthetic significance and that it is the... 
and that it is the province of the artist not so much to rouse strong emotion by action, ecstasy, and astonishment as to maintain a placid interest and appreciation by accurate, detailed transcripts of everyday affairs. <laughs> so he doesn't, this guy is not into like the supernatural. It's all like everything has to, if he doesn't see it, he doesn't believe it kind of thing. But also this guy clearly believes that it is the artist's job not to affect society, but to record society, which yeah. is an interesting take. Which, you know, is not necessarily what, uh, he's a realism. He clearly likes realism and not yeah. uh, surrealism. Yep. Well, and I, I get I get the, the thought process. It's just, it's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. That a mind can find its greatest pleasure in escapes from the daily treadmill and in original and dramatic recombinations of images usually thrown by habit and fatigue into the hackened pattern of actual existence was something virtually incredible to his clear, practical, and logical intellect. With him, all things and feelings had fixed dimensions, properties, causes, and effects, and although he vaguely knew that the mind sometimes holds visions and sensations of far less geometrical, classifiable, and workable nature, he believed himself justified in drawing an arbitrary line and ruling out of court all that cannot be explained and understood by the average citizen." Besides, he was almost sure that nothing can really be unnameable. It didn't sound sensible to him. <laughs> yeah, he is very much a very like, he is a science, like it is see to believe, everyone, like, they're, like they're, everything's a straight line, everything is like a right angle. Yeah. Like this person doesn't, I hate this person. I would not be friends with him. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, Never mind that in a lot of ways, this person is me. Um, (laughs) Well, that worked out well. (laughs) Um, Whoopsie. (laughs) I I do. I, I love that despite the fact that in like the first sentence talking about him, we yeah. both immediately got who this guy was. Yeah. And like he just keeps describing him. Yeah. We have gotten another paragraph and a half about who he is. Who this guy is. In really like very cool language. Oh, beautiful. I mean, this is a beautiful yeah. language. I'm glad I've been singing all day because my mouth has warmed up because <laughs> if this was a normal recording episode, like back in COVID times, I would have been like <laughs> the whole time. All right. <sighs> Though I well realize the futility of imaginative and metaphysical arguments against the complacency of an orthodox sun-dweller, something in the scene of this afternoon's colloquial... uh, mm, Colloquy? Colloquy? It's like the shortened versions of colloquial, it seems. Colloquy? Colloquy. Yes, what's colloquy mean? Colloquy. Uh, A conversation. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Something in the scene of this afternoon collo- of this afternoon's colloquy moved me to more than usual contentiousness. The crumbling slabs <laughs> this is so funny. It's like these two friends that don't see the world the same way. The crumbling Ordinarily, I wouldn't yeah. bother arguing with him, but he was just really pissing me he off was today. Fucking ticking me off. 
The crumbling slate slabs, the patriarchal trees, and the centuried gambrel roofs of the witch-haunted old town that stretched around all combined to rouse my spirit in defense of my work. And at a, and as I was mm, and I was soon carrying my thrusts into the enemy's own country. <laughs> All right, so they started verbally fighting. Are they also are they in Salem? Fighting or or thrusting? <laughs> thrust into my enemy's country? Oh, dang. <laughs> uh they they are uh they are in New England, presumably not far from Boston, which means not far which, from not Salem. Not far from Salem and he just said it's a witch haunt witch haunted old town. From the yeah. 17th century, where all the graves are. All right, let's find out. Let's see if he's thrusting or thrusting. <laughs> it was not, indeed, difficult to begin a counterattack, for I knew that Joel Manton actually half-clung to many old wives' superstitions which sophisticated people had long outgrown. Beliefs mm-hmm. in the appearance of dying persons at distant places and in the impressions left by old faces on windows through which they had gazed all their lives. To credit these whisperings of rural grandmothers I now insisted argued a faith in the existence of spectral substances on the earth apart from and subsequent to the material counterparts. <laughs> this is the most like intellectual little like argument. This is like it's like how can thee not believe in the ghosts when you uh are you believe in like old wives tales? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's you can't be uh, you can't be completely practical. You yeah. can't completely um, uh, disavow all superstitions yeah. if you know if you knock on wood for good luck. Exactly. Yep. Or if you don't like walk under a ladder, it's like yeah. if if that one exists, then you have to re- at least respect and understand other people's because that's their that's their truth. It argued all capability of believing in phenomena beyond all normal notions. For if a dead man can transmit his visible or tangible image across half the world or down the stretch of the centuries, how can it be absurd to suppose that deserted houses are full of queer sentiment things or that old graveyards teem with the terrible, embodied intelligence of the generations? And since spirit, in order to cause all the manifestations attributed to it, cannot be limited by any of the laws of matter, why is it extravagant to imagine physically living dead things in shapes, or absences of shapes, which must, for human specters, be utterly and appallingly unnameable? (laughs) All right, dude. That was a sentence. (laughs) Quote, it's also a good argument. It is. It is also, quote, common sense is reflecting on these subjects, I assured my friend with some warmth in merely a stupid absence of imagination and mental flexibility. <laughs> he's like, and he's just an idiot. <laughs> Twilight had now approached and they're still in the graveyard. This is when it's going to get good. Rut row. Twilight had now approached, but neither of us felt any wish to cease speaking. 
Manton seemed unimpressed by my arguments and eager to refute them, having that confidence in his own opinions, which had doubtless caused his success as a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, he's that teacher. He's like, no, what I said is true and everything else is bullshit. Whilst I was too sure of my ground to fear defeat, the dusk fell and lights fainted... um, The dusk fell, and lights faintly gleamed in some of the distant windows, but we did not move. Our seat on the tomb was very comfortable, and I knew that my prosaic friend would not mind the cavernous rift in the ancient root-disturbed brickwork close behind us, or the utter blackness of the spot brought by the intervention of a tottering, deserted 17th-century house between us and the nearest lighted road." There in the dark, upon that riven tomb by the deserted house, we talked on about the quote-unquote unnameable. (laughs) And after my friend had finished his scoffing, I told him of the awful evidence behind the story at which he scoffed at most. Oh, here we go. Ghost story, ghost story. Okay, so now we're going to tell an actual story. Here's the ghost story. Okay, okay. Yeah, man. So that was just like five paragraphs of, hey, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell a story to this total twat bag who doesn't believe in ghosts and see if I can make him believe in ghosts. I mean, that's real. That's like how um, that's how uh, uh, Turn of the Screw starts. Henry James. They're like talking about like things. And this woman's like, oh, you don't believe? Well, let me tell you a ghost story. Like, Let and me that's, tell you why you should believe. That is the whole like setup of it. And yeah. All right, let's do this. My tale has been called The Attic Window and appeared in January 1922's issue of Whispers. In a good many places, especially the South and the Pacific Coast, they took the magazines off the stands at the complaints of silky milk sops. <laughs> what is it? Oh my God, it's not silky. It's silly milk sops, but that's still fucking hilarious. <laughs> Those people in the South and out in California are goddamn weak. I mean, you know, <laughs> Florida. They couldn't even handle a scary story. They couldn't handle my scary story in the attic. But New England didn't get the thrill and merely shrugged its shoulders at my extravagance. The thing, it's like New Yorkers and Bostonians are like, whatever, I've seen worse on the subway. (laughs) The thing, it was averred, was biologically impossible to start with. Merely another of those crazy country mutterings with Cotton Mather had been gullible enough to dump into his chaotic Magnalia Christi Americana? What? It's all capitalized. I'm guessing that uh, we've got, what was the name? Cotton Mather? Cotton Mather Uh, had been gullible enough to dump. It's like the name of his plantation or something. Uh, no, Cotton Mather. Uh, I'm guessing we're talking a writer or folklorist of some kind. And okay. Magnalia Christi Americana is a collection of, of weird, his... creepy, and spooky stories okay. gathered from around the country. Okay, cool. I, I like that assumption. So, blah, 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 blah. Mag- uh, 
And it was so poorly authenticated that even he had not ventured to name the locality where the horror occurred. And as to the way I amplified the bare jotting of the old mystic, that was quite impossible, and characteristic of a flighty and notable scribbler. (laughs) Have an opinion about him, do you? (laughs) Mather had indeed told of the thing as being born, but nobody but a cheap sensationalist would think to having it grow up look into people's windows at night and be hidden in the attic of a house in flesh and in spirit till someone saw it in the window centuries later and couldn't describe what it was that turned his hair gray. All this was flagrant trashiness and my friend Manton (laughs) was not slow to insist on that fact. Then I told him that I had found in an old diary between 1706 and 1723, unearthed among family papers, not a mile from where we were sitting, that, and the certain reality of the scars of my ancestor's chest and back, which the diary described. Oh, shit. Got, like, stabbed? Like, murdered? I told Uh, him- Either murdered or, like, tormented physically by whatever this unnamed apparition is. Yeah, yeah. I told him, too, of the fears of others in that region and how they were whispered down for generations and how no mythical madness came to the boy who in 1793 entered an abandoned house to examine certain traces suspected to be there. Ooh. It had been an eldritch thing? Eldritch? Uh, yeah, uh, Eldritch is a term often associated with the writings of H.P. Lovecraft and oh. especially of the Cthulhu mythos. So this is um, absolutely but, an autobiographical story. <laughs> like he's just But like, the the actual definition of Eldritch is yeah. weird and sinister or ghostly. Okay, cool. But Eldritch horror is like his style the the style that he writes in okay cool it had been an eldritch thing no wonder sensitive students shudder at the puritan age in massachusetts so little is known of what went down beneath the surface so little yet such a ghastly festering as it bubbles up per, per ooh putrent Putrescence, it's putrent, like P U T R E S C E N T L Y. Um, putrescence, uh, yeah, becoming putrid, uh, rotting, putrefied, yes. So, okay, cool, that's what I figured. Putrescently, so yeah, like rottingly, yeah, disgustingly, gross. Okay. Uh, gross. Gross. Bubbles up. <laughs> Bubbles grossly. up gross. Bubbles up gross, but he says it such pretty, in such prettier language. <laughs> what is it? Ghastly festering as it bubbles up. Ew. Ew. And occasional ghoulish glimpses. <laughs> 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 Ew, David. Uh, so, <laughs> so little is known on what... Uh, So little is known of what went on beneath the surface, so little, yet such a ghastly festering as it bubbles up putrescently in occasional ghoulish glimpses. The witchcraft terror is a horrible ray of light 
on what was stewing in men's crushed brains, but even that is a trifle. (laughs) There was no beauty, no freedom. We can see that from the architectural and household remains and the poisonous sermons of the cramped divines. And inside that rusted iron straitjacket lurking gibbering hideous perversion and diabolicism here truly was the apothesis of the unnameable so like the unnameable is like evil it seems like like it it seems to be a um sort of local personification of the embodiment of evil some sort of like some sort of spirit that is evil spirit or spook that yeah that is that is evil so voldemort um (laughs) cotton mather in that demonic sixth book which no one should read after dark minced no now that makes me want to read it after dark see that's the kind that's that's who i am (laughs) He minced no words as he flung forth in anathema. Anathema? 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 We're getting all kinds of good words in this one. I mean, there's a lot of good words. (laughs) I'm surprised Um, my mouth is working as good as it is. um, is, uh, So an anathema as a Mm -hmm. noun is something or someone that a person vehemently dislikes. Okay. Well, shit. All right. Um, or a form, uh, <laughs> a formal curse by a pope or a council of the church. Okay. Okay. So flung forth his anathema could mean that he was cursing the thing. Okay. He flung forth his anathema. I mean, it's better than throwing forth some other things that he could throw forth. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Flung forth his excrement. His excrement. Yeah, exactly. He is a monkey. Monkey. And he was flinging poo. Flinging poo. Which is why you should not bother reading his sixth book after dark. Apparently. Or before dark or ever. Unless you like poo throwing and I guess that's, that's what you're like. That's your thing. Because he was only one of the 100 monkeys typing at 100 typewriters, and what he did not write was Hamlet. Mm-hmm. He wrote poop. <laughs> Stern as a Jewish prophet and laconically unamazed as none since his day could be, he told of the beast that had brought forth what was more than beast but less than man— the thing with the blemished eye and of the screaming drunken wretch that hanged for having such an eye. Are they hung somebody because he had a gross eye? Rude. <laughs> this much ha- this much he baldly, boldly? I bet it's boldly told. Not baldly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why you'd ba- baldly tell somebody something. Well, some people are just bald, and that's the only way they can talk. That's true, but I'm guessing it's boldly because it's underlined as like a typo. This much he boldly. <laughs> yes, and I always trust. Uh, I always trust my grammar corrector. Oh yeah, I do too. Not uh, considering any time I write the word "fuck" in text, it corrects it to "duck" to this day, and I'm like, come yep. on, you know what I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> 
And for some reason, my phone always now tries to autocorrect the word and to abs or she. That's fucking weird. <laughs> it's really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Autocorrect can suck my butt. <laughs> baldly. It can suck it baldly. <laughs> Thanks for the to wax. To baldly go where no one has gone before. <laughs> that is that is the question. <laughs> Except that that works because Captain Picard is bald. To sure baldly is. baldly go where... <laughs> Right. Star Trek nerd humor. <laughs> you like yeah. that? Not particularly deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> this much he boldly told, yet without a hint of what came after. Perhaps he did not know, or perhaps he knew and did not dare to tell. Others knew, but did not dare to tell. There is no public hint of why they whispered about the lock on the door to the attic stairs in the house of a childless, broken, embittered old man who had put up a blank slate slab by an avoidance grave, although one may trace enough invasive legends to curdle the thinnest blood. It is all in that ancestral diary I found. All the hushed innuendo, all the hush. I, I love that I fucked up the word innuendo because I've definitely never said that word on this podcast. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know if you have. You just use innuendo a lot. I feel like I've said it at some point, but you know, yeah, true. <laughs> I just do innuendos. I don't like say the word innuendo. <laughs> I just do innuendos. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> It is all... <laughs> what did Cinderella say when she got to the ball? <laughs> Innuendo. Uh, <laughs> that was the edited version for the for our young listeners. Oh, God, do we have young listeners? I hope not. <laughs> we added that, like, that, like, warning beforehand for a reason, people. Yeah. It is all in that ancestral diary I found, and... All the hushed innuendos and furtive tales of things with a blemished eye seen at windows in the night or in deserted meadows near the woods. Something had caught my ancestor on a dark valley road, leaving him with marks of horns on his chest and of ape-like claws on his back. It's the Jersey Devil. It's the Jersey Devil. They're not in New Jersey. They're in Massachusetts. Well, I mean... I. Um, Maybe the devil got lost a little bit. <laughs> the devil went up to Boston. The he devil was went up to Boston for a guy to gore. <laughs> the devil went up to Boston. He was looking for a guy to gore. <laughs> then he got lost on the way home and became a whore. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I like it. I like okay. it. <laughs> he had to hook. He had a- to start. He had to pick up hooking to get back home because he had yeah, no more and, money. And instead of a. F- fiddle like playoff they're gonna battle each other on hammered dulcimer yeah yeah okay wait 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 there's a better instrument joke um banjo banjo is not particularly trombone Bostony? Well, it's bag anything pipes. that's Irish. Yeah, bagpipes. Blow, blow, blow my bagpipes, bitch. <laughs> yeah. 
By the way, in Dune, they're playing bagpipes. I'm like, oh, that's the instrument that has survived in the, to the, like the ten, the to year ten thousand <laughs> bagpipes. I like that. It was. I like that. I, we were laughing so hard. I saw Dune last night, and we were. All, I was like, literally out loud because we rented out a theater for the cast, and I like out loud went, "Bagpipes! That's the instrument that's still around." <laughs> and everyone starts laughing, and I'm like, so. Uh, now we know. Now we know. <laughs> Great. So we have another 8,000 years of bagpipe bag piping. music to look forward to. Yippee. My mom played yeah. bagpipes. Good job, mom. See, she knew. <laughs> I can get down with that. Get down with some bagpipes. <laughs> I look forward to hearing covers of Beethoven's Fifth done on an orchestra entirely made of bagpipes. I look forward to hearing covers of Cardi B's WAP. Uh, done entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Got my wet ass pussy. <laughs> like on a bagpipe. <laughs> it would never be less sexy. All right. Uh, where Something about I? claws on his back. Okay. And when they looked for prints in the trampled dust, they found the mixed marks of split hooves and vaguely anthropoid paws. Ooh, gross. Once a post writer said he saw an old man chasing and calling to a frightful loping, nameless thing in a meadow hill in the thinly moonlit hours before dawn, and many believed him. Certainly there was strange talk one night in 1710 when the childless broken old man was buried in the crypt behind his own house in sight of the blank slate slab. They never unlocked that attic door but left the whole house as it was, dreaded and deserted. When noises came from it, they whispered and shivered and hoped that the lock on the attic door was strong. Then they stopped hoping when the horror occurred at the parsonage, leaving not a soul alive or in one piece. With the years, the legends take on a spectral character. I suppose the thing, if it was a living thing, must have died. The memory had lingered hideously, all the more hideous because it was so secret. During this narration, my friend Manton had become very silent, and I saw that my words had impressed him. He did not laugh as I paused, but asked quite seriously about the boy who went mad in 1793 and who had presumably been the hero of my fiction. I told him why the boy had gone to that shunned, deserted house and remarked that he ought to be interested since he believed that window's latent images of those who had sat at them. The boy had gone to look at the windows of that horrible attic because of tales of things he'd seen behind them had come back screaming manically. Manton remained thoughtful as I said this, but gradually reverted to his analytical mood. He granted for the sake of argument that some unnatural monster had really existed, but reminded me that even the most morbid perversion of nature need not be unnameable or scientifically indescribable. <laughs> He's like, okay, there was like a like rabie infested raccoon that like was right. carrying it's people. Like yeah, explaining away the incredible strength of um, vampires by saying it's just someone on angel dust. Yeah, exactly. I admired his clearness and persistence and added some further revelations I had collected among the old people. 
Those later spectral legends I made plain related to monstrous apparitions more frightful than anything organic could be. Apparitions of gigantic bestial forms, sometimes visible and sometimes only tangible, which floated about on moonless nights and haunted the old house, the crypt behind it, and the grave where the sapling had sprouted beside an illegible slab. Whether or not such apparitions have ever gored or smothered people to death, as told in uncorroborated traditions, they had produced a strong and consistent impression and were yet darkly feared by very aged natives, though largely forgotten by the last two generations, perhaps dying for lack of being thought about. Moreover, as far as aesthetic theory was involved, if the psychic emanations of human creatures be grotesque distortions, what coherent representation could express or portray so gibbous and infamous a nebulosity of a specter of a malign, chaotic perversion, itself a morbid blasphemy against nature? That was a question. That was like the longest sentence I've ever read in my life. I don't even know what I just said. That, that was just a lot of very long words. <laughs> He's showing off. That's all. Okay. Molded by the dead brain of a hybrid nightmare, would not such a vaporous terror constitute in all loathsome truth the exquisitely and shriekingly unnameable? The hour must now have grown very late. A singularly noiseless bat brushed by me, and I believe it touched Manton also. For although I could not see him, I felt him raise his arm. Presently, he spoke. But, oh, this is the first, like, quote. We've had the whole thing. <laughs> I get to get, finally <laughs> give them voices. All right. Got to do a voice now. But is that house with the attic window still standing and deserted? Yes, I answered. I have seen it. And did you find anything there in the attic or anywhere else? There were some bones under the eaves. They may have been f what the boy saw. If he was sensitive, he wouldn't have needed anything in the window glass to unhinge them. If they had came from the same object, it must have been a hysterical, delirious monstrosity. It would have been blasphemous to leave such bones in the world. So I went back with a sack and took them to the tomb beyond the house. There was an opening where I could dump them in. Don't think I was a fool. You ought to have seen that skull. It had four-inch horns, but a face and jaw something like yours and mine. <laughs> and at last I could feel a real shiver run through Manton. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Who had moved very near. But his curiosity was undeterred. And what about the window panes? Oh, they were all gone. One window had lost its entire frame, and in all the others there was not a trace of glass in the little diamond apertures. They were that kind, the, the old lattice windows that went out of use before 1700. I don't believe they've had any glass for a hundred years or more. Maybe the boy broke them if he got that far. The legend doesn't say. Manton was reflecting again. I'd like to see that house, Carter. Where is it? 
Glass or no glass, I must explore it a little, and the tomb where you put those bones, and the other grave without an inscription. The whole thing must be a bit terrible. You did see it until it got dark. Oh, they're sitting on it. My friend was more wrought upon than I had suspected, for (laughs) at this touch of harmless theatricalism, he started neurotically away from me and actually cried out with a sort of gulping gasp, which released a strain of previous repression. (laughs) It was such an odd cry, and all the more terrible because it was answered. (gasps) Ooh! For as it was still echoing... I heard a creaking sound through the pitchy blackness and knew nope, that a nope, nope. oh god ew and knew that a lattice window was opening in the accursed old house beside us and because all the other frames were long since fallen I knew that it was the grisly glassless frame of that demonic attic window then came a noxious rush of noisome. Of noisome? Noisome? <laughs> noxious rush of noisome? <laughs> uh, it's a, that's a, a, an it's, it's like a saying of noise. A noxious rush of noisome frigid air. Ah, got it. A noisome is uh, describing the it's, air. It's, okay. Yeah, it's an adjective. Yep. Got it. Then came a noxious rush. Then came a noxious <laughs> my mouth then came a noxious rush oh my god (laughs) (laughs) fucking shit my mouth is broken you did i mean but let's be real it's saturday i've had a six-day work week i've been singing a fuck ton and then this thing was like let me give you all the big words that you've ever said in your life in one in one story here we go the real horror of hp lovecraft is the number of syllables in his Amen. average word. Amen. Amen. Then came a noxious rush. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just going to lisp on it. Then came a noxious rush of noisome, frigid air from that same dreaded direction, followed by a piercing shriek just behind me on that shocking, rifted tomb of man and monster. In another instant, I was knocked from my gruesome bench by the devilish threshing of some unseen entity of titanic size, but undermined nature, knocked sprawling on the root-clutched mold of that abhorrent graveyard, while from the tomb came such a stifled uproar and gasping and whirling that my fancy peopled the rayless gloom with miltonic lesions of the misshappened damned. What the fuck? There was a vortex of withering ice-cold wind and then the rattle of loose bricks and plaster. But I had mercilessly fainted before I could learn what it meant. Oh, fuck. Whoa. All right. So he's out. (laughs) Yep. Manton, though smaller than I, is more resilient, for we opened our eyes at almost the same instant, despite his greater injuries. Our couches were side by side, and we knew in a few seconds that we were at St. Mary's Hospital. Oh, shit. Attendants were grouped about intense curiosity, eager to aid our memory by telling us how we came there— And we soon heard of the farmer who found us at noon in a lonely field beyond Meadow Hill, 
a mile from the old burying ground on a spot where an ancient slaughterhouse is reputed to have stood. Manton had two malignant wounds in the chest. Oh, God. And some less severe cuts or gorgings in the back. Ew. I was not so seriously hurt, but was covered with welts and contusions of the most bewildering character, including the print of a split hoof. Ah, ew. It was plain that Manton knew more than I, but he told nothing to the puzzled and interested physicians till he had learned what our injuries were. Then he said, we were victims of a vicious bull, though the animal was a difficult thing to place and account for. <laughs> he still doesn't believe, or he's just in denial. After the doctors and nurses had left, I whispered an awestruck question. Good God, Manton, but what was it? Those scars. Was it like that? And I and I was too dazed to exult when he whispered back a thing I half expected. No, it wasn't that way at all. It was everywhere, a gelatin, a slime, yet it had shapes, a thousand shapes of horror beyond all memory. There were eyes and a blemish. It was the the pit, a maelstrom, an ultimate abomination. Carter, it was unnameable. The end. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Well, we got we the got title there. of the story like so many times in that one. Oh, it was yeah. very much like, yep. don't go into the room in the tower. The yeah, unnameable. I will, <laughs> I will not be adding effects every time you say the unnameable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that would just be too much work. That was creepy as fuck. I mean, very, very beautifully descriptive and poetic. And my mouth is like on fire right now because that, that was like reading Shakespeare, um, which is beautiful. But on uh, first read, it, you know, made my mouth like go. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but really beautiful. And what the fuck? <laughs> I was All not right. expecting well, the story to like be happening. Like I thought they were sitting there and then there he's going to tell a ghost story. I didn't realize that they were going to sit there and he was going to tell the like ghost story of where they were sitting. And then they were actually going to be part of the fucking ghost story. Yeah. Then the, the twist is that we were there all along. Ew. <laughs> Ew. The unnameable. That one gave me like shivers a couple of times as we were reading. Like I was like, Bleh. excellent. Bleh. So happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> happy Halloween, listener. What did you think about that one? Yeah, what did you um, think? What 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 uh, do you think our uh, what do you think our uh, our code word should be for that one? <laughs> uh, stop swinging your dick. Stop swinging your dick. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So please email us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or reach out to any of our social media. You can find us by searching Campfire Classics Podcast and um, let us know what you thought of that story, how you felt about it. Did it give you some shivers? Tell us yeah. what your Halloween costume is going to be Ooh. and send us the secret message. Stop swinging your dick. Stop swinging your dick. That's also good advice. That's also, that's good, also advice. Just, that's good advice. <laughs> good life advice. Um, yep. And uh, I think that's it from us. I think Heather it has is. to run back I have back to go back to, to rehearsal. rehearsal. I just got so, a text from the music director saying, all right, be there in five. And I'm like, I will be. 
So we did um, it. We did it. <laughs> so well done. We squeezed it in. We that's what she it in. said. That is we what she said. We shoved it in there. That is that's what happens when you swing your dick. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so that's going to be it for this one. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, listener. Uh, happy Halloween! And until happy next Halloween. week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. The devil went up to Boston, and he speared some men in the back. <laughs> That's the theme of that story. (laughs) Believe in ghosts.